and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. A lot of you guys know we're in a series we've titled Kingdom Culture, and, and part of this series, the fabric of the series, is to have a multitude of communicators from both campuses, have them visit each campus. Come on, has every communicator that we've had just done an awesome job so far? So um, this week, I was actually set to communicate. I went to sit down at my desk, and I had just uh, come back from our Republic campus. We go on Tuesdays and have meetings, and I had a conversation with Anthony. And uh, man, I don't know if you guys, what you guys know about Anthony's story. It's actually your first Sunday here at Marshfield, so we're, we're honored to have you, man. But Anthony came to our lead pastor, who was in the video, Pastor Chad, a couple years ago, and said, man, I have this, I feel like I have this call on my life. Um, specifically in the areas of teaching and discipleship. And Pastor Chad was like, man, we just don't really have a, a spot to plug you in here, but man, just, just get involved and just be faithful. And y'all, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that Anthony cleaned toilets in the church for three years before he ever stepped foot on stage, before he ever taught anyone. And I think that a lost art in the church is the art of faithfulness. And uh, that's why maybe we don't see as much fruit because faithfulness produces fruit. Amen. So, uh, and, and you know, it's people like that. When people have a heart like that for the Lord, those are the people you want bringing the, th- those are the people you want bringing the word. Uh, you know, it's genuine, it's real, it's authentic, and they care about getting Jesus in the hearts of the people sitting under their voice. Amen. So Anthony, I, uh, man, I trust you with this pulpit. I trust you to teach that word and I'm honored and excited to have you up here. Marshfield, come on, let's give him a big old welcome as Anthony brings a word. Appreciate you, brother. All right. This is awesome. Good to be here in Marshfield with you guys today. Um, I said this first service, but I went all out. I went all blue for Marshfield this week. <laughs> went all out for Marshfield this week. And also as a side note, I am one of the blue team counselors for the blue team at camp this year. So can support that as well. Who's got kids going to camp? All right. I've got four going. It's going to be awesome. So as Pastor Mark said, you know, my journey to get here has been a little different than what most people did. Now, this isn't really part of my message, but I want to throw this in here. Man, just be faithful. If you have a call in a ministry, you feel like you're called to in any way to serve in ministry, whether it's vocational or not, man, just be faithful. Find somewhere to get plugged in and be faithful. I disqualified myself for over two years and ignored my call into ministry because I was like, this isn't what ministry looks like. I was in my 30s. I didn't go to Bible school. I didn't graduate college. I didn't do any of that. And I'm like, that's not the journey for somebody who's going to be a pastor or a teacher in the church. Don't do that. Don't disqualify yourself. Come on. So we are continuing our series in what we call kingdom culture. And the purpose of this series is we've been looking at the teachings of Jesus in his sermon on the Mount found in Matthew five through chapter seven. And the idea behind this series is that we wouldn't just hear Jesus's words, but then we apply them to our life that we would live out a kingdom culture lifestyle. And we've looked at different aspects of this, of this Sermon on the Mount. We've looked at what it means to be poor in spirit, what it means to not worry, to be second mile men. I've got the bracelet on. Come on. Who's got the bracelet on? Come on. Come on. So we've looked at, Pastor Duell talked about being salt and light. And Ryan last week brought an amazing word on having our foundation in Christ and having a solid foundation and not one built on sand. So this week, 
We're going to switch, shift gears a little bit, and we're going to look at something that's kind of a touchy subject for a lot of people. But to kind of get a better understanding of what we're going to look at today, check out this video. Why about yourself? Can I help? No. You want me to help, Rose? No. Thank you. No, thank you. What do you want me to do? Why about yourself? <laughs> Why about yourself? <laughs> I'll do this one, so I'm gonna do that. You try! <laughs> what about yourself? Go die! Oh. Worry about yourself. That is the title of today's message. Worry about yourself. And we're going to be talking about the issue of judging others. Judging others. So just a bit of a disclaimer up front. I and Pastor Mark already kind of hit on this, but my calling in ministry is in teaching and in discipleship. So what I want to do for you guys today, if you're okay with it, is give you some teaching moments along the way. Because it's one thing for me to just come up here and read a passage of scripture and then give you my interpretation of it. I could do that, but I want to help you guys out a little bit. Because how many of you know it can be frustrating when you go to read scripture and you're like, man, I don't have a clue what I just read. Who's been there? Come on. I know we've all been there. I've been there. So I'm going to give you guys some practical tips along the way to help you maybe better understand scripture as you go to read it. And of course, first and foremost, I want to throw this in. I didn't say this first service, but first and foremost, when you read scripture, rely on the spirit. God's spirit will speak to you. You can, commentaries are great. I am not against commentaries. I use them when I study. But what is a commentary? It's what God spoke to that person. I mean, God may have something completely different for you in a passage of scripture that he didn't have for that person. So seek God's spirit first. Seek him as you're reading scripture and let him speak to you. And then if you're like, I don't know if that's right or not, then go maybe seek some commentary or some wise counsel for somebody who's knowledgeable in the word. But so that's kind of my disclaimer. I'm going to give you guys some points along the way. You guys good with that? All right. So today we're in chapter seven of Matthew. And what we're going to be looking at again is this idea of judging others. And because if we're going to be kingdom minded people who are living a kingdom culture lifestyle, then the one area of our life that probably needs to be transformed as much, if not any other, is how we deal with and relate to other people. And not just the people we do life with, not just the close people, our friends, family, coworkers, things like that, but everyone. All people that we come in contact with, we have to be careful in how we treat and respond to those people. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, say, judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your word. We ask that your word begin to, begin to convict our hearts as we go through this today. Begin to speak to every single one of us. Give me clarity as I deliver your word today, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so judge not that you not be judged. What is Jesus saying here? Well, these first five verses, they tie together in a very specific way that we got to understand first and foremost. 
we have to understand this. We're going to understand what Jesus meant when he says, judge not. And so the key to understanding this passage is, is a word that Jesus uses three times in this passage. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? He says, or how can you say to your brother? And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Key word here is brother. Everyone say brother. brother. That's the key word. So this is one of the teaching moments. You guys ready for this? So in order to fully understand what is being taught in any passage of scripture, or what's, what, the communi- what the author of that book is trying to communicate, we first need to understand two things. Who the target audience is and what's the subject of what's being taught. We've got to understand the context. If you, not under- if you don't understand the context of what's being written in that passage, man, do some research, find the context, because you've got to understand that first if we're going to understand the true meaning of what that scripture says. And so... We need to do two things. We need to understand, number one, who is Jesus instructing? And then who is he talking about? So in these first five verses, Jesus is talking to a very specific group of people about a very specific group of people. And in using the word brother, what is Jesus saying? He's communicating this principle in this passage is how we as believers deal and respond with other believers. That is first and foremost. We've got to understand that first. We understand what he means when he says judge not. So the word judge, when we hear the word judge, what do we think about? Judge in a courtroom, something like that, right? And so what does a judge do? They hold somebody accountable for their actions in accordance with the law. It's pretty simple, right? We all understand that. So is Jesus saying that we shouldn't hold our brothers and sisters in Christ accountable for their actions? That would actually fly in the face of what other scripture says, would it not? We are told to hold each other accountable. And in fact, we are actually also commanded to confess our sins to one another. We need to be accountable to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So if that's not what he means, what is Jesus saying? What Jesus is talking about here when he says, do not judge, is stop holding your brother to your standard of righteousness. So that's the main point of the message right there. You guys are getting it right up front. The main point is this. When we judge others, we are holding them to our standards of righteousness rather than holding us to his standards. So in reality, here's the deal. It's a heart issue. It all comes down to a heart issue. Go back to verse three. What does Jesus say? His first question isn't, how do you see the log? Or how do you see the speck in your brother's eye? Although he does address that, he will get there. He will ask that question, but what's his first question? His first question is, why? Why are we concerned with the speck in our brother's eye? So let me ask you this. Have you ever noticed that we tend to judge others in areas that we are not as prone to stumble in? Why is that? Why do we do that? Why do we judge others in areas we're not prone to stumble in? Right, because the one who doesn't drink or smoke We'll be the first one to look down on the person who drinks or smokes. Or maybe you grew up with that background that says tattoos are bad and Christians shouldn't get tattoos. And you walk into a church and you see a pastor with tattoos and you're like, I can't have tattoos, right? You'll be the first one to look down on the person that has them or dares to get one. So whatever you can find wrong in someone else's life will likely be something you don't struggle with. Or maybe it's something you don't have the strength to face yourself. God's grace is good, is it not? Sometimes he won't have you struggle with something he knows you don't have the strength to face. 
But here's the deal. When we do this, there's a term for this. I call it selective outrage. Selective outrage, focusing on the offenses that won't convict us so that we might appear to have our act together. We focus on the things that we don't have problems with so that we feel that we have it all together and have no issues. Well, congratulations, guess what? In doing that, you're doing exactly what the Pharisees of Jesus' day did. And Jesus calls it out. You hypocrite. It's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. Because here's the deal. If we were truly interested in the cause of living in righteousness, as we seem to be when we judge others, we would be focused on all sin. Not just theirs, but all sin. But more specifically, our own. Our own. In other words, worry about yourself. Worry about yourself, as that little girl says. Right? So Jesus is teaching us in these first five verses that as we do life with our Christian family, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, stop focusing on their shortcomings and their sins and start focusing on the areas of your life where you fall short of meeting his standards. But maybe even just as importantly, we need to be reminded that our righteousness as believers is not of our own. Our righteousness comes from Christ. Our righteousness is of Christ. And because of our faith in Christ, when the Father looks down on us, you know what he sees? He sees Christ's perfection. He sees Christ's perfection in us. And guess what? Nothing, nothing can improve upon that perfection. So in essence, as believers, we're all in the same place. We're all on the same playing field. No believer is more acceptable to God than another. Your faults don't disqualify you. Just like I talked about earlier with my story. Just because I didn't go through the motions or through the steps that a lot of people in ministry go through, it doesn't disqualify me, right? Your faults don't disqualify you. Their faults don't disqualify them. You'll struggle. They'll struggle. But together we can face those struggles through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and through the counsel of God's word. Amen? Everyone good? All right. So that's dealing with the believer in our life. What about the unbeliever? Verse six, verse six. And you may be wondering, what does giving what is holy to dogs and throwing pearls to pigs? Like, what does that got to do with how we deal with unbelievers? Well, let's unpack it and let's try to make sense of it. So another teaching moment. You guys ready for another teaching moment? This one's critically important when trying to study scripture. The golden rule of interpretation is this. When you read scripture, understand this. When the plain sense of the text makes common sense, seek no other sense. When the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense. But when it doesn't, when it doesn't, sometimes you have to go back and figure out what that scripture means. But the, in the goodness of God, guess what? The Bible is written by one author from front to back, is it not? The spirit of God. So when God uses a symbol, maybe back in Genesis, he'll use that same symbol all the way through scripture. So if we come across a verse and we realize it's using something symbolic and it's not in the simple sense of the text, we can go back and find the meaning of that scripture somewhere else. That'll help you when you're going and reading through the Bible and you're coming across, man, I don't know what that phrase means because there's no interpretation for it right there. Go find it somewhere else in scripture. You'll find the meaning and it'll help you dig in and understand scripture a little bit better. So let's break verse six down. There are two things we need to understand. Number one, what do the dogs and pigs represent? And then number two, the what is holy and what the pearls represent. And so dogs and pigs, I'll tell you up front, they represent unbelievers. 
They represent unbelievers. So pigs, according to the law, were unclean. Leviticus 11.7 says, Moses says that the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but does not chew the cud, it is unclean to you. So pigs are considered unclean. And then John uses dogs as a symbol for those outside of heaven in Revelation when talking about the kingdom. Revelation 22.15 says, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehoods. So understanding that. So we understand that the pigs and the dogs represent the unbeliever. Everyone good there? Everyone good there? Okay. So what is holy? God, right? Christ. John 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So what is holy? Well, the Word. Are you starting to put this together? What verse 6 is actually saying. So by using, putting this all together in the context of judging others, what Jesus is saying here is stop using God's word as judgment against the unbeliever. We are not to pass judgment on the unbeliever and use God's word, God's law to cast that judgment. Yet how many of us hold the world to our standard and use God's word as the basis to do so? So why? Why aren't we allowed to judge the unbeliever? and use God's word as the basis to do so. Paul actually gives us the reason why in Romans chapter 2. And in Romans chapter 2, I have read through Romans countless times. Many, many times I've read through Romans, one of my favorite books. But it wasn't until I really began to dive in and study this for this message, and I came across this passage to see how it ties into what what Jesus was teaching in, in Matthew, that this really began to convict me in a different way. And began to see, really, as believers, why the church has some of the problems that it has today. Because this is a perfect representation of really what our church looks like. So Romans, chapter 2. You guys ready for this? Buckle up. Just warning you. Verse 1. You may think you can condemn such people. Well, who are these such people? Well, we have to kind of go back to the end of chapter 1 because they're listed in the end of chapter 1. Verse 30 of chapter 1 says they are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. That sounds like society today, does it not? It is a perfect representation of what society looks like today. So back to chapter two, he says, you may think you can can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. Catch this. Paul says, you have no excuse You have faith in Christ. You know God's law. We should be in God's word every single day. Amen? We should be in here every single day. So if we're in here, we know what God's word says. And if we know what God's word says and we're not doing it, we have no excuse. They have no faith in Christ. Why should they obey his word? They have an excuse you don't. In other words, worry about yourself. 
Verse 2, he continues, says, We know that God and his justice will punish anyone who does such things. And since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? It's just like what Jesus said in Matthew, right? Why are you focused on the speck in their eye when you've got a log in your own eye? Worry about yourself. Paul's beating us up a little bit here, isn't he? He's not holding any punches. Church, it's time we stopped acting like the world and we began to live out the kingdom culture lifestyle that we are called to live, not a worldly lifestyle. We've got to stop looking like the world. For far too long, the church has looked like the world. For far too long. It's time we began to live a kingdom culture lifestyle. But it's not all, it's not all punches here from Paul. You guys, I think Mark used this example. I know he used it in Republic. I think he's used it here that Jesus' teachings were a punch and a hug. You guys heard that? Well, Paul takes a lesson from Jesus in this, and he's going to give us the punch and the hug. We just got the punch. Here's a pretty deadly one, too. But here's the hug. Verse 4. It's like this complete shift in, in his tone. He says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness, not his wrath, not his judgment, not his anger, his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. Notice what Paul is saying here. Even though we don't get it right and we want to judge others according to our standards, rather than holding ourselves accountable to his, that it's God's kindness that will turn us from our sin. His kindness is mercy. And what's fascinating about this passage is we see a perfect example of this in Jesus' life because it wasn't enough for Jesus just to teach it. It wasn't enough. No, he showed us in his life. He gives us the picture of what it means to not judge and to hold yourself to his standard. John chapter 8, Pharisees bring a woman who's caught in the act of adultery and they bring her, bring her before Jesus and they basically just throw her on the ground and say, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law says we should stone her. Notice what they did there? They're using the law, God's word, to judge an unbeliever. Which Jesus just taught us not to do in Matthew 7, right? Then I think we all know the story. So what happens? Well, Jesus says, all right, stone her. But he who is out without sin casts that first stone. One by one, they drop their stones and they leave. And so I kind of want to wrap up with this, this thought that we see in this story of what it means to not judge. And it's this, where the world offers judgment, Christ offers redemption. Christ offers redemption. So when we judge others, we're holding them accountable to our standards rather than holding ourselves to his. our condition, we all sin. We've all fall short of his glory. And so as I close out, I want to kind of give you some insight as to what this looks like, at least for me. Does anybody else in here struggle with other drivers on the road? Or am I? Okay, based on their laughter in the room, I'm assuming there's several others in here. So, and it doesn't have to be a situation that's on the road. It could be in any situation. It could be with your spouse, coworker, kids. I mean, any number of things, but 
When I get frustrated with a driver on the road, right? They cut me off, they're tailing too close, whatever this situation is, what am I doing? I'm holding them to my standard, right? I'm going, well, they're not a good driver because of this. They, they need to do this. I'm holding them to my standard of what I think is good rather than holding myself accountable to God's standard. So what is God's standard? If we're going to hold ourselves accountable to His standard and stop focusing on the world around us, we got to know what His standard is. So what is God's standard? Well, Jesus makes it simple. In His greatest command, what's He say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. God's standard is love. God's standard is love. So what is love? I did this first service. Somebody in here singing a song. I actually had somebody in the front row sing it last service. The Hathaway song, What is Love? You guys seen that? So what is love? 1 Corinthians 13 tells us love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I love that. It endures. It doesn't judge. Did you catch that at the beginning? It does not demand its own way. It does not demand its own way. It doesn't expect the world around it to live up to its standards. No, we're called to live to his standards. So in other words, worry about yourself. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.